Let's open our Bibles tonight. We're going to actually be in just a couple quick passages tonight, but let's begin this evening in the book of Mark, chapter 16. Mark 16. We're going to look at one of the Great Commission uh, passages uh, to begin with tonight. The title of tonight's message is Communicating Christ to Others. Communicating Christ to Others. What do we mean by that? So we're going to start out with something, a very familiar command to us by the Lord Jesus. So Mark 16 and verse 15, the Bible says here, And he said unto them and to his disciples, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, or literally to all creation. Wherever you go, go and preach the gospel, proclaim the gospel. And so this is uh, definitely some very important instructions from our Lord. We refer to this as the Great Commission and uh, as a command for us to to be his salt of light, to spread his message of truth, no matter where we go around the world. Uh, we have been talking on Wednesday nights, one of the blessings or assurances that Jesus gave his the disciples and even to us, that we would do greater works than even he did, and not greater in like how many or um, even in the way that they're being done, but greater in the scope uh, that that was done. So remember Jesus, his the miracles that he performed was pretty much just to to Israel. His teaching was to Israel, to lost sheep of the house of Israel. But we see in the book of Acts, that message went really not in just Jerusalem and Judea, but also Samaria and the uttermost part of the world, uh, much broader than it was during Christ's ministry itself. And so it's again, they didn't do a greater job than Jesus did. I mean, no one can do that. Okay. But the scope of it was much greater. And so tonight we're going to be talking about really the, the application of that. And even as we look at missions today, uh, here at Victory Baptist, I'm very proud that we support about 21 missionaries uh, serving uh, really around the world, represented even here in, in Minnesota and then abroad, and we rejoice in that. I'm really looking forward to this missions conference coming up in just a few weeks. Again, we have three speakers that will be with us, Brother Sam Slobodian, who we, we know well, reaching um, Ukrainians and Eastern Euro- Europeans, uh, Russian speakers predominantly, uh, with the gospel, and looking forward to hearing an update uh, from what's going on in his world, his ministry. And then we have uh, another man, Andrew Counterman, who is a uh, director over a ministry that helps church planters in uh, Latin America. And uh, God has been doing some good things through his ministry. I, I actually talked to him this week, and I found out that years ago, he actually used to be on the board of BIEM, which is the, the mission board of Sam Slobodian. So he and Sam Slobodian are good friends. Haven't seen each other in a while, so they look forward to reconnecting at the conference. Small world, isn't it? So, and uh, and then we have David Bennett with Silent Word Ministries International. I've known David for many years, and uh, he ministers to the deaf around the world. And um, a really kind of an interesting mission field. I, I think a lot of times we forget about the deaf uh, communities around and how much they do need to hear. Literally, they need to hear Jesus. They need to hear about Jesus. How do deaf people uh, hear they actually hear with their eyes and they talk with their hands. Okay, pretty amazing. They still communicate. So very interesting. How do we share the gospel with the deaf around us? And we're going to do a lot of application here tonight as well. So when we think about the Great Commission, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, although this command is simple, the task before us is great. In human terms, the Great Commission is daunting, but the God has promised us his presence and his power as we go forth in his name. In the world's population today, we have, what, 7.7 billion people, I believe. Uh, it's growing by the minute, right? And so we, there's a lot of people in this world, the, the, especially in the past 100 years, my word, the world's population has grown exceedingly. 
And so uh, when we think of that, and we're supposed to go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, every person, wow, where do you start? Where do you begin? And I think that's uh, kind of, when you look at it again from a human perspective, that seems overwhelming, but how do we do this? But in looking at modern missions, and when we, kind of the traditional approach we take to missions, even here at Victory Baptist, there are a few challenges that must be considered. So I want to do something tonight. About a year ago, we actually went over the philosophy of missions in the local church. We spent several weeks on why we do missions, why do we have, uh, why is the local church involved? We talked about even the deputation process. Is that even biblical support raising? Is that biblical? We talked about a little bit of the missions experience across the world and wherever they may be. We talked about all those things, but here's some, uh, just a very quick recap of two things. First of all, what is missions? Let's talk about that. Missions is this. Missions this is kind of my, my definition in a way, but uh, kind of modified from others. But missions is the responsibility and the task of the local church to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world for the purpose of discipleship, multiplication of self-supporting, self-governing, and self-propagating churches for the glory of God. Okay, so as we talk about works that are eventually self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating church, in other words, they become kind of uh, they're not dependent on uh, a foreign entity per se. Uh, they they have their own independence, if you will. So that is um, that's one of the goals of, of missions. But who is a missionary? Who is a missionary? Uh, there's a song that uh, I remember singing when I was little: "Be a missionary every day." I don't be a missionary every day. Tell the world that Jesus is the way. I don't know if you ever heard that song or not, but the the fact of the matter is that song is not true. Not everyone is called to be a missionary as a vocational missionary. I believe everyone is called to be an ambassador for the Lord in that regard. You represent Jesus Christ no matter where you go. But here is, this is why. Why do we say, uh, when we talk about missions and missionaries, who is a missionary? And this is a a definition here. A missionary is one called by God to full-time service of Bible study and prayer and one who crosses cultural and or geographical boundaries to proclaim the gospel in areas where Jesus Christ is largely unknown. Okay, let me slow down a little bit and read that again, because there's a lot in that. A missionary is one called by God to full-time service of Bible study and prayer, and then one who crosses cultural and or geographical boundaries to proclaim the gospel in areas where Jesus Christ is largely unknown. So that's when we talk about missionaries and we support uh, a missionary. And we have, like I said, we have 21. That is generally their 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 description, okay, uh, in, in that in those parts. So very, very important, okay? But one thing that we're going to talk about tonight is this. This is a practical way. We talked earlier about in modern missions, there are a few challenges that missionaries do face, and it's one that often does not, it sometimes gets talked about, but it does not really thought about. Uh, what do you mean? So it's, again, this is something that's talked about, but not really thought about. What is one of these challenges? And one of the challenges that missionaries often face is that of language barriers, there's cultural barriers. I, I think we think about there's there's uh, when I was in in Bible Bible college, I was a missions major, and uh, so I remember going through our our um, one of our missions classes, and our professor he said that there is uh, um, three F's in the missionary experience. The first is fascination. When a missionary gets to the field, there's a fascination. It's kind of like honeymoon period. Wow, you're kind of like that the tourist. You know, you take pictures of everything, buy all the souvenirs. You know, you kind of get that fascination. The second part, though. After you're there for a while, you get it becomes frustration because you figure out, wait a minute, you you stick out like a sore thumb in that culture. 
you don't look like, talk like, act like uh, the culture that you're in. And sometimes they don't think the way you do or, uh, you know, respond the way you're expecting. There's, so there's a frustration in the culture. We never got to the fourth F or the third F, excuse me. We never got to the third F. So I have no idea what comes after frustration. He left us hanging all these years, been 20 some years. I have no idea what <laughs> we're supposed to end up. I would say, if anything, I think there is a sense of fulfillment that you are obedient to Christ, our faithfulness, that you're there uh, sticking out as long as God keeps you in that area. But nonetheless, language barriers uh, is, is very, it's a real barrier. Uh, and it's, it's actually more, um, and I'll kind of break it down a little bit here in just a moment here, but uh, language barriers is actually a, a very serious uh, barrier that missionaries must take. Uh, that mu they must cross. And so learning another language in another culture, um, by preferably by immersion, is uh, something that's very challenging that most, a lot of missionaries face. And, and I think this is really where you find out who's going to stick it out in missions versus who's not going to stick it out. And I'll get to that. Why is that? Okay, so uh, let me ask you this. How many took a foreign language, whether it be in high school, college, whether it be several of you have, okay? Um, I jokingly say, uh, Linnea just started Spanish class in, in, uh, at co-op. And so, but I jokingly say, you know, the high school Spanish you have, by the time you get older, that's, you're just good enough to order at Taco Bell, you know? <laughs> so, you know, practically speaking, you know, what, what do you do with that? And so if you've actually learned and studied another language, like actually seriously hit the books on it and to immerse yourself in the culture, if you can, is, uh, is very important. But here's the, here's some quick statistics. There are, how many languages are there in the world today? How many known languages? There are over, there's about, actually this is the report as of earlier this year, January 1st, 7,117 known languages spoken by people around the world, according to Ethnologue. Well over 7,000 languages represented around the world. That's a lot, okay? So here's the next question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you this. What do you think? Which, which language has the most native speakers. In other words, this is their first language, their, their birth languages, if you will. Which language has the most native speakers? What do you think? Chinese. Yes, absolutely. 1.27 billion people speak Chinese as their first language. English is third down the list. Okay? So, uh, so anyways... You think of this Mandarin or Cantonese, okay, that's very well spoken, okay? So how much of the world's population speaks English as a first or second language? What do you think? What, what percentage would you say of the world's population speaks English as a first or second language? What's that? I'd say you can the world to speak English and all that. That's true, but what percentage? Give a, give a ballpark. How many... Okay, I'm going to give you 10%. Anyone else? Take a guess. 25? Okay. Anyone else? 60%. Answer is, and this is a very generous, about 22% of the world's population speaks English as a first or second language. Actually, most of Texas are around 17%, a little lower. And out of that, and I forget if it was Holly or Lee who said this, but out of that, uh, most of the people who do speak English speak it as a second or even a third language. Um, it's actually a very small group who speak English as their first language, okay, within the world. 
Um, I think sometimes here in the United States, uh, we, we are surrounded predominantly by English. Maybe you'll have a neighbor or, you know, you go to a Mexican restaurant or something like that. You know what? You might hear something else, but predominantly we operate in English, in an English-speaking society, and we never even have to think about translation work. We don't have to think about that. But if you go anywhere outside of the U.S., for the most part, you're going to be facing other languages, other cultures, and all that. So there's a little truism that's usually taken. Someone who speaks three languages, what? Polyglot or trilingual, okay? Someone who speaks two languages is bilingual. Someone who speaks one language is American. Okay. So there's there's definitely some truth to that. Okay. Um, and I think what's interesting is this, that your language is a very powerful tool. What is language for? It's for communication. You're sharing information, vital information. And as you work with whether it be in business or being a good neighbor. And I think what we're talking about tonight is in sharing the gospel of Christ. Okay. Language is very, very key. And so this is very, very important to understand that. So I remember when we were on deputation and, uh, or I forget what exactly what time we were in. I remember there was a, I think it was a, a young teenager who asked us in a church that we had spoken at. I forget where now, but they asked this question, how long does it take to learn a language? How long does it take to learn a language? My answer was a lifetime. When you are learning, whether it be, I mean, we're still trying to learn English, okay? You, you actually learn it without realizing it because language changes all the time. We don't realize it, okay? There's a lot of change that happens in language. But when you are trying to learn, let's say, put yourselves in the missionary shoes, you're going to a certain country, going to language school. I think of right now the Sanderlands. They, uh, about a month ago, they moved to France for language training in French, obviously, before they go to Cameroon. And so they are immersed right now in France and French culture and in the French language school. And they are probably well over their heads right now trying to learn the French language. God bless them, right? So, but anyways, it's, there's an immersion. But the thing is this, it, it's really a lifetime of learning because there is French, French from France. But when they go to Cameroon to the Francophone area in Cameroon, they're going to learn kind of the French, the Cameroonian dialect. French. There's going to be nuances and certain words and phrases that will be a little bit different than what they learn there. And so you kind of always have to be learning. And that's something that you always have to be. So a missionary really is, should be a lifetime learner when in regards to other languages. So it's important for missionaries, I believe, to learn the language of the people they minister to in order to communicate Christ to the people's what we call the heart language, their heart language. Okay. Like I said, English is widely spoken around the world. In fact, it's the most studied language around the world. If you want a decent job, it's good to, to earn, learn English and all that. But it will never take the place of someone's heart language. And I think that's very key to understand that when you're communicating, especially Christ with someone, you want them to really understand who Jesus is. The best way to do it is to speak in their heart language as best as you can, as possible. So the thing is this, the missionary who does not take time to learn the language of his mission field will not have an effective ministry. A missionary who does not take time to learn the language of the field where he's at will not have an effective ministry. There was a story I heard, actually heard the guy. He told uh, a group of uh, pastors or uh, some type of meeting he was at. I forget exactly the situation now. But uh, he said he was going to go to some Spanish-speaking country. And he says, man, I don't really need time to learn all language. I'm just going to stand on the street corner. I'm going to pass out tracts. 
Praise God for that. But you know what? In his ministry, that's all he's going to be doing. It's just passing out tracks. That's it. Well, praise God for anything that goes out. But he'll never truly be able to reach the people effectively by immersing himself in the in the culture that's there. Okay? So that's very, very important as we, we understand that. Okay? So keep that in mind. All right? So again, the purpose of language and learning language is to be able to share information. That's That's the real purpose of that. We are right now speaking in one language together. You are understanding what you're receiving the the information I'm sharing right now, okay, because we're on that same platitude. But when we speak to someone from a different culture, a different language, you have to kind of learn their heartbeat, have to learn that. You have to become an expert in that culture to effectively reach those people in that culture. So there are some missionaries that may rely on interpreters, or sometimes we call them interrupters, okay? If you've ever done any... Um, or been, you know, a, maybe in a place where you've had uh, interpretation going on, uh, interpreters, they sometimes become interrupters and it depends on their situation, okay? Um, I th- I would challenge missionaries highly if you uh, do that temporary, maybe sometimes you need to do, get an interpreter just to, maybe it's for a short-term missions, I understand that, but if you're going to there go and immerse yourself in a culture, to have an interpreter with you forever for the next 20 years you know, you're always going to be relying on something. It's always going to be secondhand information. There are some times where you, you might need that. In our situation in Israel, with our Church Messiah Baptist Tabernacle, we had a very international congregation. It started out as a Filipino Bible study, okay? You, you wonder why we love the Philippines, like the Durans and, and Ada. How many have you met Sister Ada? Several of you have. She's, she was sitting in the back today. Uh, very sweet lady. We love we loved Filipinos, Okay. But as uh, the, our church began as a Filipino Bible study, but through the years, God brought in so many people from all backgrounds. Uh, there was just a handful of Jewish people at the very beginning, uh, but God brought some other people in. So we had Russian-speaking Israelis that were there, mostly from, uh, from Russia, some from Ukraine. Uh, and then when we got there, back in the mid-2000s, we had uh, people from different parts of Africa, from Nigeria, uh, we had a, a guy from Cameroon. He was a bas- international basketball referee. And uh, he was there, came only on our went- midweek service, but it, we, it was a joy to have him there. Uh, we had people from Burma. Uh, and by the way, not just Burmese, but also Karen and uh, Chin. Chin was the other language. So we had Burmese families there, but three different languages represented within Burma at the same time. Okay. Uh, I mean, God did some amazing things with that. We had uh, a lady from um, uh, from Germany and her husband. Her husband worked for the Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, we had American expats that worked for the State Department. Uh, we had uh, a lady from Korea that was with us as well. Um, and then we had a lady from Argentina. Her name is Claudia. I'll have to, some other time I'll tell you the whole story about Claudia. That's just amazing. But she's from Argentina. Had a lady from Colombia that came as well. So you can imagine that we just had a... a a hodgepodge of different ethnic groups that are there, Israelis as well. And so we had a, probably about nine, eight or nine different nationalities represented at any, any given service, okay, as well as language groups and all that. And so how do we communicate to one another, okay? Uh, because of the languages and cultural differences that are there, how do you communicate? And so we would uh, do everything in English because that was kind of like the trade language. That was what at least most people understood uh, without translation, okay? But we still had translation into Russian, into Burmese, into Galog, and into Spanish. Okay, so we had four translation words. Think of the United Nations, how they work and all that. That's how our church services operated every single week. And it was 
it was simultaneous translation as well, okay? But sometimes uh, you, you have to be careful with interpreters because how do you know that the message that you're trying to convey is actually getting across to the people you're speaking to? I'll give you another quick story. I have a lot of stories, but I'm going to try to keep it. So I got to save some for later, right? So I was invited by, there was a, a, a Nepali guy. We had some uh, uh, Nepalese families uh, that came as well uh, from Nepal. And uh, this guy, his name was Pastor Binod. Uh, pastor Binod Gupta. Uh, Binod, he said, uh, he he was the pastor of some little church of Nepali foreign workers in Tel Aviv. And uh, they met not too terribly far from where our building was. And so one Saturday morning, he invited me to come and speak to his group. So I, I remember preaching. I had a little message on Romans chapter 3 that I went and I preached that to them. And so I go in and very cultural in Nepali. You have to take your shoes off. This is in January. On It's chilly and... Uh, the tile floors is just uh, chillier the bone. So I thought ahead of time and I put on wool socks. I'm so glad I did. <laughs> the floor was so cold. But anyways, I get there and everyone's sitting down on the floor like you would in Nepal. Everyone's sitting down. And here we are in Tel Aviv, okay? They're sitting down on the floor and uh, me and Binod, uh, who is here, he's translating for me in, into Nepali. So I'm as I'm preaching all that, I'm saying something like, you know, the wages of sin is death and we all of us are in our sins, something like that. He went on for about three minutes. I'm like, I didn't say that much, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, how do you know the message is getting across? So you can see already why it is important. I'm using the, I mean, that's kind of a unique thing. I only did that, I think, two or three times to that group. Um, but anyways, taking time to learn a little bit about the culture and the people that you're ministering to, this is very important for our missionaries. Uh, I think here's something to keep in mind too. You might have to rely on in, in, interpreters, depending on your situation, but that should be the exception, uh, not the rule. You should try as much as you can to learn the language as best as you can to communicate. Some may try to, with good intentions, to get someone with a different English or a different language to speak English, to lead them to Jesus, to get them to say, let's say, a, a sinner's prayer. But I think you got to be careful because why? That person, you try to get them to speak English, their English might be so simple, but they might not truly understand what you're talking about fully. You got you to think of that. You understand it completely, but for them, is that, for example, if I try to get you to speak a few words of Hebrew, you could probably pick up on a couple words, but a whole uh, communication, whole sentence, it might be a little bit hard for you to do that, or Spanish, or whatever language we throw out there, okay? So this is why it's important to communicate in a person's heart language, in a person's heart language. One thing that we do at IBJM, International Board of Jewish Missions, is we give out bilingual Bibles, Hebrew, English, Hebrew, Spanish, Hebrew, Portuguese, Hebrew, Russian Bibles. Uh, we did that during our Honor Israel, for example. One reason why we do that is because when you talk to Jewish people, even if they don't really don't read Hebrew or don't know it, and a lot of American Jews don't, but if you give them that, the Hebrew there represents their heart language. It represents their people. And that all of a sudden opens a door to them. So one thing I will say is this. There's a saying I learned many years ago. And in fact, I shared it with some this past week when we were out at the garage sale. Blessed is the person who can say thank you in any language. Blessed is the person who can say thank you in any language. Do you know how to say thank you in other languages? Okay. So you meet someone at the Mexican restaurant. What should you say after they bring your food? Gracias. Ten of you are going to do great. Okay. So... If you were in France or you go to a French bistro, what are you going to say? Ciao. Goodbye. Okay. Merci. Merci beaucoup. All right. 
Merci beaucoup. All right. What's I'm and we did this with the teens a couple of weeks ago. We actually did this exercise. And so, give me a uh, a way to say thank you in another language. Danke, which is German. Okay. Uh, Carol didn't. Well, she did say something, but in sign language. In sign language, you go like this. Thank you. All right. All right. If you don't know, now you know how to do that. Okay. Anyone else? Another language. How do you say thank you? A jumbo. That's Swahili. A jumbo. Okay. And that's what language? Swedish. That's right. I remember that. All right. Or Magnatak. Magnatak in, in Norwegian. All right. Stasif uh, Haristo. That's Greek. All right. Modern Greek. Uh, we could go on. Todaraba uh, and in uh, Hebrew, Spasiba uh, in Russian, Arigato in Japanese. Uh, we could go on and on. I, I think it's just a lot of fun learning different languages and how to say thank you. Here's the thing. If you say that word to someone in another language, what does that do? It really opens their heart a little bit. It's of appreciation of nothing else. Thank you for taking the time to say thank you in my heart language. You will have no idea. And especially when we have so many immigrants and people here, I, I've lost count. Even when we've had little projects here, we have different foreign workers that will come and work on different, like in our roof, for example, had one guy from Moldova. It's a father and son crew. The, the, the father, he spoke very, very little English. And so I spoke Russian with him, uh, the little bit I know anyways, and uh, we were able to communicate. So here's the thing. Any language you use, even if it's a limited knowledge of it, use it for the glory of God. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, all the glory of God. So with that in mind, I'm going to bring you a little story kind of wrapping this up and talking about the Great Commission night. Linguists are those who are, are trained to study languages and even develop skills to create a written language where one is not available to a people group. Uh, but what happens, oh, actually, before I get on the next part, uh, I did linguistic training when I was at Bible College for my missions major. My professor for that class, his name was Henry Osborne. When I got here to Victory a couple years ago, I talked with Roger Myers, and we were talking about missions and things like that. And he and uh, Roger said this, yeah, I, I used to have a professor back when I was uh, in college, and his name was Henry Osborne. And I said, wait a minute, he was my professor too, in the same class, linguistics, okay? I think that was kind of interesting. But here's the thing, this is the kind of a story we're developing now. What happens when someone does not have a language let alone a written one. Someone does not have a, or even a spoken one. There are people in this world today that do not even have a language. We take that for granted. How do you teach someone a language with a language that they don't know a language about, okay? There are people in this world today that do not have a language. Earlier this year, uh, I read a book entitled A Man Without Words by Susan Schaller. Susan Schaller, uh, she is a, a teacher who uh, learned sign language and got a part-time job in California working as an interpreter at a little community college. When she got to the college, she thought that she would be translating lectures and um, conversations between deaf students and hearing teachers. However, she was put in a classroom full of deaf adults who did not even know sign language, let alone anything else, okay? So a couple of students knew a few ASL signs, American Sign Language, by the way, how many have ever studied a little bit of ASL? Okay. So you know a little bit? Very good. Very good. So I think it's helpful to know a little bit, at least, okay? But a couple of students knew a little bit of ASL signs, and, and most tried to communicate with homemade or personal signs, 
uh, and four students had no comprehension of words or language whatsoever. You say hello, for example, in sign language, or thank you. They had no idea what it is. All right, or my name. Okay, my name is, okay. So they, they had no idea what that was. And so one is interesting. They had no idea that people and objects even have names. Could you imagine that? Being without a language. There are people in this world like that. One 27-year-old uh, man in the class had no idea that his parents had named him Ildefonso. Ildefonso, when he was born. He had no idea that he even had a name. 27 years, never even knew he had a name. Okay, This is a true story, by the way. There's a book, like I said, Man Without Words. It's an interesting read, uh, if you want. It's not a Christian book or anything, but it's still an interesting read on the science of language. Okay, But Ildefonso, he didn't know he had a name, so all he did was simply imitate the actions of others. He watched people sign and talk to each other, but he had no understanding of what they were doing or what they were saying. He had no understanding of language. So Susan focused her attention on Ildefonso. Day after day, week after week, she tried every means imaginable to communicate that objects have names or signs. Ildefonso did not understand, but he was thankful that someone took the time and showed interest in him, so he kept coming back to class at this little community college. So one day, the if you want to say the Helen Keller uh, water moment, if you know the story of Helen Keller, that moment happened. The, aha, I get it. After about three days, Susan had been trying to teach the sign for the word cat. Do you know what that is, Patty? How do you do cat? That's right. Do the whiskers. Yeah. Very good. So she was trying to sign cat and trying to explain it using all kinds of, whether it be pictures or other gestures to do that. And so she pointed to a picture of a cat. She pretended to pet the cat. She drew a cat on the chalkboard about 50 times, petted the cat, all of these things. And each time she would sign the word for cat. All of a sudden, Ilfonso got it. He understood. He pointed to the cat and he signed cat. He slapped his hands down the desk, lifted up his eyebrows, and then he realized, oh, what is this? What is that? And Susan signed the word for desk, then went around the room, began signing all the other words for each object in the classroom. So Ilfonso, who had not made a single noise since the first day Susan met him, fell back in his chair and wept. He was overwhelmed that all of a sudden he realized there's cat. Well, what's the name for this? What's the name for that? What about this? What about that? He was so excited, but he started weeping and sobbing. Here's a 27-year-old man who is learning language for the very first time. A language, period. Okay? I think this is amazing. For the first time in his life, he understood the concept of language. People could communicate with words. It was a very emotional moment. Eventually, he learned American and Mexican sign languages. And he was able to get a job as a professional gardener. And Susan Schaller wrote the book to shed light on the massive overlooked community of the deaf adults in the world who have no comprehension of words or structure language. They communicate their entire lives with simply pantomimes. They just act it out. Okay? There's a lot of people in this world like that, in the deaf community especially. Uh, maybe not so much in the United States. There is more of a structure and all that. But... Can you imagine living your life not even realizing that you had a name or this had a name? You just had to figure it out as you went. That was his life. By the way, this man was very intelligent. No final, he kind of realized after, there's a little documentary about him. It's on Vimeo if you want to watch it. go Just type in a man without words and you can see his video and meet him personally on that. But he realized, man, I could have been a doctor. I could have been a scientist. He was a very intelligent man. But because of these, these limitations, and so he just said, you know what? I'm content to be a gardener at a hospital. 
and he makes a garden bright for doctors and other workers that are there that could, they can relax and, and enjoy themselves that way. So what's interesting, and this is kind of some words uh, based on a friend of mine who also read the book with me, and he said this. He said, I reflected on how similar this true story is to man's comprehension of the spiritual world. And I think this is where language comes to a very important piece. You know, when you share the gospel with people, maybe this has been your experience. I don't know about yours, but I know for mine, definitely I've seen this. You, sometimes you run across highly intelligent, well-educated people. And when you share the gospel with them, hand them a track, whatever, they maybe smile and even nod at you. But when you share the gospel and tell them that there's spiritual internal life through Jesus Christ, they kind of really don't understand. It's kind of like listening to someone in another language. You're speaking in a different language. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's thinking like this. It's like listen. they, they receive your words like they're listening to Charlie Brown's teacher. Remember Charlie Brown's teacher? Wah, 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 wah. I mean, that's all it means to them. Look with me over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is the one verse I want us to look at as we kind of wrap this up. Verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2 14 says this. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So the natural man here is talking about someone who is simply does not have the ability to sift the facts. He is not, he's not born again. He doesn't know Christ. Okay? Uh, he, he's still in his sins. And the sinful man, remember the preaching of the cross is them that perish foolishness, but unto us that are saved is the power of God. Okay? So when we communicate and talk about language now, when we take time to learn people, study people, and communicate the gospel to others, ultimately what's going to have to happen? The Holy Spirit's going to have to open their eyes to the truth so they can receive them. That's the ultimate idea. But how many people in this world today, some are polite, some may scoff at you, but ultimately there are those who do not have spiritual life and they cannot possibly understand that there is an infinite and genuine realm out there that they know nothing about. There's a different world that they do not know. In this, they are completely deaf to spiritual things. They are completely deaf to spiritual things. They don't realize that there is a Christ who died for them, a Christ who gave, who gave his life, who was buried and rose again. The, the perfect story, right? So if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, understand this, that heaven is real, Jesus is real, the Bible is accurate, it's a living book. And even if you don't understand it yet, it doesn't change the fact that Jesus saves, okay? So here's a challenge for those who are spiritually deaf. Please don't dismiss spiritual things as imaginary because you do not understand them yet. Like Susan was trying to convince Idolfonso of things we called, called words and language, may we communicate to others about a kingdom beyond our physical comprehension. His kingdom is real. And guess what? We would love to show you, introduce you to the person, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. We kind of wrap this up. of talking about language barriers that are in the world. Um, and I, I'll be honest with you. This is actually reading that book. I read it at the very beginning of this year. And uh, it's just been on my mind and my heart, and especially reaching the deaf community. Uh, and that was one of the reasons that we reached out to Brother David Bennett from Silent Word Ministry, actually, to bring him in. How do you reach the deaf, let alone here in the United States? but reaching them really around the world. Did you know that the AS, there's ASL, American Sign Language, 
But there's other types of sign languages around the world. There's different languages within sign language within that as well. Um, so uh, consider that. But how can you use this? Remember, we use this, this saying, uh, blessed is the man or the person who can say thank you in any language. This is what happened this week. All right. This is another, I, I just think of um, a, a God moment. Uh, well, we were getting ready or sometime during the day of our, our, our sale out there, uh, uh, Pat Healy and I, we went over to Culver's and we, we did get food for people. Okay. For the workers. <laughs> he was a witness, right? But as we were there, and if you've been to the Culver's just down the street here, um, I'm not sure how they do it, but they have employed people who have different disabilities. Uh, there's a, a young lady there who has Down syndrome, for example, and she's one of the sweetest girls uh, you'll meet. Go and say hi and say thank you for your work. And she'll appreciate that. Also, uh, there's a, uh, a young man who works there who is, he has a sign that says, I'm deaf. He, he's the one who brings out trays or goes out in the, in the driveway when, you know, handing your food and all that. And so what do we do? And he brings the food out and we were witnesses, Pat. He comes up, gets the food. So what do we do? Thank you. Guess what he did? He smiled and then he starts to do sign. And I said, this is a little bit. Please don't ask me too much, right? <laughs> I'm very limited. Patty, I wish you were with me, okay? <laughs> Maybe next time, okay? We'll go there. But uh, what happened was this. I don't know. I, I know a few words and a few phrases, but the only thing I could really do was this. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. And you know what he said? He had a big smile. He just gave me a big thumbs up. I don't know if he really knows the Lord or not, but God used even that limited language to reach his heart for that. And you know what? Pat and I were blessed too. I look forward to seeing that young man. I want to bring my friend David Bennett, who's coming to meet this young man as well. You never know the power of language. And when you take the time to learn someone's heart language and let the God do the rest of the work, isn't our God good? There's a, oh man, can we do another story? Really, really quick, really quick. At the yard sale, we had, one thing I loved is we got to meet a lot of people from the neighborhood and the community who came by. And of course, they were there mostly for shopping. Got a few, meet a few of the neighbors down the street and uh, they, were, they were the nice neighbors, okay? They were, they were good folks. Uh, but there was a lady who came with her two granddaughters. I think it was on Thursday. And she was from Colombia, from South America. Um, I forget her name off the top of my head now. But she came and she had her two granddaughters. She spoke hardly any English. Do you remember her, Daphne? very little English. Uh, and so I started speaking, uh, speaking up with her in Spanish. And, uh, one thing we were talking about languages and all that. And one thing was when I speak Spanish with others, the first thing they asked me is, well, where did you learn Spanish? And I learned a little bit in high school and in college. And, and then I did translation work, uh, in Israel as well, uh, for, for Claudia from Argentina. And so anyways, we were talking about that. And, uh, I, we were talking about learning languages and how important that is. And especially for young people to learn different languages. Um, and uh, one thing I said this, you know, there's a tip that I learned years ago. When do you become, uh, and here's for the grandy kids, I'm going to throw this at you, okay? When do you think you begin, the language just starts clicking? You know, when do you really begin to understand it? And this is, I think, pretty, pretty accurate. It's when you start dreaming in that language. When you have dreams and you're speaking in Spanish or Hebrew or sign language, uh, you're doing that. When you start doing that, it means you're starting to get the language. It's becoming a part of you. And so we were talking of that anyways. We talked for several minutes, actually, and uh, found out she goes to a, a different church and all that. I honestly don't know if she knows the Lord. It didn't really come across that way, I'll be honest. Pray for her. Pray for this lady from, uh, from her, uh, from Columbia. 
But God used those moments simply to share his truth. We were able to talk, talk a little bit about Jesus, a little bit of why it's important of believing in God, what this church stands for, things like that, the gospel. And so God uses those moments. So take the time. And if you don't know a language or a language doesn't come easy to you, bring a friend along or get maybe a track in a different language. Just use those opportunities and let God do the work. So what's the result in communicating Christ to others? I look forward to that one day in heaven. It says in Revelation 5, 9, and they sung a new song saying, thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and hast redeemed us unto God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. God is not limited just to one or two languages. He actually, the Bible came, the original languages were Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, and now it's translated into thousands of languages. Isn't God good? And we will, I can't wait to get to heaven and see the harvest that is from that. So let God use you in the midst of the harvest and even learning of a language. So I encourage our missionary families to devote yourself to learn the language, the hard language of the people you're ministering to, and let God do a great work as you yield to him. Very good. That's the message for tonight. Communicating Christ to others. Praise God for his word, for that promise.